As we come to the scripture, let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, uh, I've just been praying about your speaking to us and you speak to us. And so we pray that you would do just that in this particular passage of scripture this morning. The Holy Spirit, uh, you have um, worked in this apostle named Paul to uh, bring forth out of him truth. Uh, and so it's reliable, it's infallible, it's inerrant, we trust it. And uh, we desire then to hear from you and to shape our lives around your wisdom, your truth. So please help us all to receive it and believe it and live it, this I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn please again to Ephesians and chapter 5. I want to read uh, beginning with verse 22. Ephesians in chapter 5, please. This is the word of the Lord. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church's body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands, husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands love their wives as their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And then together we say, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now I want, if God will help me, just to take the beginning of this passage, verses 22 to 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, I've saved this piece, as you probably observed, to the end. It's not because I was hoping Jesus would come back before I had to preach it, uh, or that uh, um, I was hoping that maybe you thought, well, it was first. He must have covered it, uh, and then just move on. Uh, nor because I think it's unimportant or because it's difficult. It isn't terribly difficult. It seems pretty straightforward, and it's crucial. It's important because it's in the Bible, and so we can trust that it's important to us. Uh, I've saved it to the end for a couple of reasons I mentioned a few weeks ago. One is because much more space is given in Paul's deliberation here about marriage uh, to husbands being um, the head and loving their wives as Christ has loved the church. So that seems to be the biggest piece here. And so I wanted to take it up first. And secondly, um, Uh, it seems that in order to really understand anything about submission, we have to understand something first about headship. Always in the Bible, 
when we're talking about submission, there's someone to whom the submitter is to submit. And, and so it's important to know that relationship and, and who that is. Uh, and so uh, we talked about a husband as head of his wife. And so now we come to this uh, point of uh, wives submitting uh, to their husbands. So just some general observations. First, it is my calling to preach and to teach. I understand that. But, but this particular piece of scripture, interestingly, uh, the Lord has said through this apostle that there are particular ones who are very good at teaching wives to be submissive to their husbands. Turn to Titus and chapter uh, 2. Titus and chapter 2 and verse 3. Um, if I begin with verse 1, so you get the sense of this. Paul's writing to Titus. Titus is a pastor, church in Crete. Um, he says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So he says, he says, here's the doctrine. Now I want you to teach the application of it. Uh, and so he said, here's what your older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and in steadfastness. Then verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. They're to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, you see. This is there to be submissive, these women, older women, but they're also to teach the younger women about that. And so, uh, uh, not as a cop-out, but just as something that is true, that I think it's probably best, ultimately, I'll talk about this, but ultimately, for women to learn about being submissive to their husbands, from older women who understand this. It seems right and good. And so if you're a younger woman, and I hope I'll give you some foundational things this morning, but if you're a younger woman and you're thinking about getting married or you are married, find an older woman. Now, when you go to them, you might want to say, I'm not coming to you because you're an older woman. I don't know how you'll put that, but take it as a compliment if someone comes to you and asks you about how, how to be a good wife, if you will, how to be a submissive wife. But, uh, but, uh, but that's how it is. That's how this is to go. And, and also for moms, remember, your one of your tasks is to teach your daughters about how to be a submissive wife. And even to teach your sons how that is. Uh, so they see it too. But particularly your daughters. And if you're looking for, I don't think she'd mind if I said this, an older woman to, uh, to, to, to learn this from. Uh, I could say my wife. But Kathy Keller, who's Tim Keller's wife, Kim and Kathy wrote a book called The Meaning of Marriage. Uh, and she wrote the chapter on being submissive. So chapter six in that book called, I don't know what it's called, Embracing Each Other, I think is the title of it, um, that chapter. It's very obviously well done. So for women, it's helpful to read that through. If I could just as a caution say this, I don't think it's always good for the husband to teach about submissiveness. All right? Uh, you have a certain role as head to 
to perhaps lead and teach and all of that, but, you know, it might be better to get this from somebody else than the husband. Uh, and uh, because your motives might be mixed. And so this this just, it's an old man talking. Uh, and uh, so you might want to allow your wives or encourage your wives to learn this from another woman. But So that's my first observation. Uh, secondly, I'm just trying to think about what do we know already, what we've already talked about in terms of, in terms of, of marriage. And, and we realize that God has indeed ordered relationships in marriage and assigned, if you will, rules. Husband is head and he's to love his wife. He expresses this headship by loving his wife as Christ loved the church. The command to the husband is to love. For a wife, the command is to be submissive to her husband. That's the, that's the order here that we have. As we said, it shouldn't surprise us that God defines our lives. We need to always remember, and this is getting increasingly confusing in the culture in which we live, we need to remember that we are not autonomous, self-defining beings. We are creatures created by God in his image. And he is the one who defines us and directs us. And as his creatures, we are to find our delight in how he's defined and how he directs us. You see, that's, that's the joy of our life. That's the delight of our life. Sadly, because this is destroying lives and destroying the image of God in us, sadly, rather than asking God the question, who am I? We're asking ourselves the question, who am I? And we're self-defining by way of feelings or passions or own concepts and ideas. That will destroy us. That will destroy the image of God in us. So it shouldn't surprise us when we read the scripture and we find that God who created us actually had something in mind when he created us, had a, had a purpose for us, and he had an identity for us. And he says, here's how you are to identify yourself as male and female. And as you marry, this is what marriage looks like. In every good wedding ceremony, this line will pop up pretty quickly. And it's the line that goes something like this, that God instituted marriage. This was God's idea that God has instituted marriage. Remember in the Garden of Eden, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then in our liturgy of our weddings that we do here, generally the next expression is something like um, that through the scripture, God instructs husbands and wives as to how they're to live. They're to cherish a mutual esteem, which is just wedding talk for they're to love each other. Right? They're to cherish a mutual esteem. They're to bear each other's burdens. They're to care for one another in all of life's difficulties. And then we say something like throughout through all industry and honesty, honesty, that means that just sincerely and in hard work, they're to provide for the material needs of the other. They're to pray for each other. And we say they're, they're to encourage each other in the things that pertain to God. 
And then finally, a little expression from First Peter chapter 3. They're to live together as heirs of the grace of life, you see. And so that the just in that two minutes, so much is said about life, particularly married life, that God orders it. He instituted marriage and, and he instructs us on how we're to live. And so that's the sense here that we're finding as we come to this passage. It shouldn't surprise us again that, that God has ordered our lives. And it shouldn't surprise us if we're surprised as how he's ordered it. Because this is his way of doing things and, uh, and, not, and not ours. And, and we see that he's done this for our good and his glory. His glory, verse 32, he says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. And what he's saying to us, and again, this is the thrill of, of, of marriage. The thrill of it is that it's bigger than just husband and wife. Because this marriage, this union, this relationship um, mirrors, if you will, or models or shows or demonstrates the relationship between Christ and his church. So all the way back in the Garden of Eden, when, when marriage was instituted, God had in his mind, this is going to be going on and on and on and on and on. And one day when Christ comes and he's joined together with his people in his church, that you go, oh, I see that was to show me this. And then as we learn about the relationship between Christ and the church, then we also learn um, about, about marriage. Now, just again, to caution us, uh, just another general point. Sometimes we, you can read these passages and, and, and you're thinking in terms of this kind of functional relationship. And so you say, just tell me what to do. Tell me what the tasks are. As head, what do I do? As, as, as wife, what do I do? And, and there aren't many specific, there aren't any really specifics here, except, you know, love uh, for heads, for husbands, love as Christ has loved the church. There aren't a lot of specifics. And what we want to say, well, who does the laundry? Who pays the bills? Who works? Who makes the money? Who watches the kids? Who makes the beds? Who does the laundry? It's fascinating to me. That when this order was first made, which was in the Garden of Eden at creation, there wasn't any laundry to do. Okay? So that wasn't, the, nobody was, Eve wasn't asking the question. She's going, what's laundry? Right? Or food was like right there. So it wasn't about those kinds of things. Those kinds of things will get worked out by your giftedness. It'll get worked out probably just by your upbringing, how it makes sense to you to do these things. Maybe even by way of the culture, we'll have some definition as to what it means to be this, what it means to be that. It'll look a little bit different in various... That's not the point here. The point is get the principle. Get the ideas behind this. Get the heart of it. Get what God is saying here about husbands loving your wives such a way that they're blessed to be your wife and they flourish in their lives and wives learn what it means to submit to your husband in such a way that he loves being your husband and that he flourishes in his life uh, the two of you together this is a union uh, therefore a man should leave his father and mother be united to the wife the two should become one flesh and that's what we mustn't ever forget it isn't these 
this functional relationship. It functions, but, but it's this union between the two. It's not a merger in the sense that you lose your personalities, but it's this sense as we never, we're never unmindful of the other. We're always mindful of the other. A husband should always be mindful of his wife, wherever he is, and she should always be mindful of her husband. It's no longer me, but, but we. There's, there's this sense of union together to model the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we see that it does model the Trinity, especially Jesus. So we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why this section, no doubt, comes after that expression in chapter 5, verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit. Because when we're filled with the Spirit, what happens? The Holy Spirit brings to us Jesus up close and personal to live within us in such a way that his life is formed in us to say that our lives then are recreated in such a way that we resemble the person of Christ. So husbands are to be head as Christ is head of the church. Wives are to submit as even Christ is submitted to his father and the church submits to Christ. So we get all of that. So having laid all that out, let's talk specifically then about this expression. Wives, submit to your own husbands um, as to the Lord. Now notice it says to your own husbands. That is, don't, don't just submit to somebody else's husband, right? And this isn't saying that every woman submits to every man. There are, every man can list women in his life to whom he submits. Might be a professor or a teacher. Might be a boss. Might be someone in the legislature. Someday it might be a president. Uh, I submit to women plumbers and electricians and any woman who's mechanical. Uh, I just say, well, I was going to say you can have my hammer and screwdriver, but I, I don't know that I have one. Uh, anyway, they got to bring their own. But, you know, so, so we find this isn't every woman to every man. This is specific here. There's another subject. But this is specific. That to, be, to submit to your own husband. That's the relationship you're in. And he, then he puts this as to the Lord. And you say, well, what does that mean? I mean, I submit to the Lord. He's the Lord. I mean, I owe him everything. I owe him all my allegiance, all my obedience and all of that. Do I, is that the same as it is? Uh, to my husband, and, and, and it's like it, but not precisely the same, of course. Uh, it would be idolatry to submit to someone as you submit to the Lord, or to obey as you would obey the Lord, or whatever. Uh, that would be it. So it isn't quite that, um, but it's significant, of course. Uh, better probably to understand this as we have it in other places, like verse 21. It says we're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so why does a wife submit to her husband? It isn't because uh, he says she should. It isn't because she thinks it's a good idea. It isn't because even society may reinforce that. And there have been societies that have reinforced the submission of a wife to a husband, even ours in certain decades and generations and so forth. Uh, But she submits to her husband because it's pleasing to the Lord out of reverence for Christ. It's, It's out of worship to him. It's why we do everything. And in fact, that's Paul's rationale for every kind of submission, if you will, even children with parents. Verse two of chapter six, he says, um, I'm sorry, verse one of chapter six he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And that is, you know, because you belong to him. 
Um, and then even with slaves and masters, bond servants and masters that we have later on in chapter 6, uh, or we might call that employees and employers. It says, bond servants, verse 5, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. And so this submission of wife to a husband is with a sincere heart, because that's the way you would submit to Christ not by the way of eye service as people pleasers to impress anyone else, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, that he will receive back from the Lord. It essentially means as unto the Lord that is in worship, in your worship of God, in your worship of the Lord, submit to your husband. This is pleasing, if you will, to him. So wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, that's a little bit of a problematic expression, isn't it? That Christ, we know, is the savior of the church. Is the husband the savior of his wife? Well, the answer we know to that is no, he's not. And so it could be that that's why Paul's pretty deliberate. He says, and is himself its savior. That is, the husband is not its savior or savior, but, 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 but the Lord. And so a wife is not saved because of the faith of her husband. A wife uh, is saved because of her faith in Jesus. Now, there's a sense in which you might say the husband is the savior if you want to make it a very generic kind of term in the sense that as had he nourishes and cherishes his wife as we get later on in this passage. He loves her and, 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 and gives himself for her. That is, he always has her well-being in mind, if that sort of generic sense. But, but please don't ever get caught up in thinking that Paul is saying that a husband is the savior uh, of, his, of his wife. And then in verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything uh, to their husbands. And you say, everything? What, what if my husband wants me to sin? Well, of course not. It's not it at all. Um, you need to submit to abuse. But this sense of everything that is in every area of life, there isn't an area of life in which you're not called to submit uh, to, your, to your husband. So just some general observations um, general observations there. And when she submits and everything, it doesn't mean that she can't speak up, of course, that she can't even correct her husband uh, lovingly and all of that. Um, some people have said, well, if the husband is the head, the wife is the neck. You heard that expression. And so there is a great responsibility and obligation for a wife to help her husband see more than he may be able to see there's a great responsibility in that because she can manipulate him in various ways. So it isn't that, but it's enabling him to see that which he would not otherwise see. And we realize that as the church submits to Christ, as a wife submits to her husband, we realize the church submits to Christ. We realize that the church has great power and responsibility. I mean, the church prays. The old saints used this expression. They said, when we pray, we're ruling and reigning with Christ. Now, in submission to Christ, we pray according to his will and all of that. But still, prayer is a powerful thing. We speak to Jesus 
We're interacting to God through him. And and so, you see, uh, that's a powerful thing. So a wife, surely she speaks to her husband about life and about things. The church prays. The, The church is the steward, if you will, over the gospel, the word of God. It's a powerful thing. It's no small thing at all. In submission to Christ, that's no small thing at all. The, the church teaches and preaches and disciplines and disciples, all in submission to Christ. But that's a powerful thing, you see. So this is no small thing to be a wife and be in submission to her husband. And as we've said so many times that this has nothing to do with superiority or inferiority. There's no way that Jesus is inferior to the Father. The Son is inferior to the Father. Uh, even though he submits to the Father, the Holy Spirit isn't inferior to the Son and the Father, even though the Holy Spirit glorifies the Father and Son. There's nothing inferior about that. In fact, it's Jesus' glory to be who he is and to submit to his Father. Dan Doriani, who's a, a professor at Covenant Seminary, has been here to preach on occasion, as a friend, in one of his, in a book that he's written about uh, men and women in marriage and so forth, he puts it like this. He says, thus, Jesus showed that there is no shame in a subordinate place. The orders of mankind originate in the creator himself. If our Lord can submit to the father without losing any dignity or value, then wives can submit to their husbands. Well, they have equal knowledge, holiness, and worth. In fact, even in the garden, uh, a wife is called the, the helper of her husband. Uh, God said, it's not good for a man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable, compatible, complementary. Make a helper suitable for him. But that little word, helper, is a word that's used often in the Old Testament of God. Right? The Lord is my refuge and my uh, uh, and strength. A very present help <laughs> in time of trouble, I look. I look to the the mountains, but where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. In fact, there's a little word in the New Testament that's often translated as helper. It's the word parakletos. It's a word used of Jesus, and it's a word used of the Holy Spirit. And so, to be a helper is no small thing. Again, because it's an expression uh, about God as well. So, what does this word submission? I mean, let me give you a definition, and this is compiled um, over the years, uh, so I don't even know who to cite for it, but it comes from a variety of sources, I'm sure. But here's how I would would define it. Submission of wife to husband is a disposition or attitude of the heart wherein she desires, in grateful obedience to Christ, to joyfully honor and affirm her husband's authority and leadership. See, headship is an authority and leadership. Now, what makes it different than how we normally think of authority and leadership, it's an authority and a leadership that loves and loves in such a way as to give himself for her well-being. That's how Christ has loved us. That's Christ is the head of everything, the scripture says, for the sake of the church, for the benefit of the church. And so Jesus uses everything at his disposal, all of his authority, all of his power, all of his wisdom, all of his goodness, 
to bless his bride. And that's the image. A husband is to use everything in his God-given power and authority and wisdom and strength for the benefit of his wife to bless her. You see. And so a wife then um, has a particular, is to have a particular disposition of heart. Now, if you're a woman and you're a wife or a wife-to-be, you're thinking about being a wife someday, you, you might think, I don't think I have that disposition of heart. <laughs> what should I do? Um, well, trust me, when I was reading the section about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, there weren't any men out there going, oh, I can do that, right? So, so this disposition, how do you, how do you get this disposition, disposition of heart the same way? Did we get any other good thing from God? We read about it. We look into our lives. And if it's lacking what should be there, we confess our sins. We say, it's not there, God. Or maybe it was there yesterday from three to quarter to four. But then he came home. Uh... It was there for a little while, right? Uh, So please help me. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And then repent. Please, God, work this in me that uh, it may be true of me. And then you begin to live. And then comes to mind again through the scripture that you have this heart. And you look at your life and you say, well, I, I had it here and here. Thank you, Lord. But I didn't have it here and here. So please forgive me and now repent, help me that I may have it. That's we call, I call the just the sort of the cycle of living a Christian life. You look at the truth, you compare it to your life, you see where you've lived it and you give thanks because that means that God has been active in your life in those particular ways. You see where you failed or sinned and so you confess it and then you repent and you say, Lord, it's wrong of me to have not lived this way. So would you please help me to live this way? And then you ask for the power and the strength of his spirit to live. And then you go, do it again. And you, you know, that's one of those lines. Say this, 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 and this. Repeat. You go back through it again. That's the course of, the very course of our lives. So this disposition, this attitude of the heart. And it's this desire. And I put it like this, in grateful obedience to Christ. So there's a gratefulness here. There's a gratefulness to Christ for your salvation, that he saved you, that he's your head. But there's also this gratefulness to him that he's called you to be a wife. And not only that he's called you to be a wife, but what it means is that he's called you to be submissive to your husband. And so therein you say, okay, I, I see it. And I, I'm grateful for that. And then you might say, I'm not really grateful. So what do you do? You say, I'm sorry for not being grateful. I need to be grateful. Please help me to be grateful. Right? And then there may be some very practical things. You may look for things about which to be grateful and make a list of them. However you do that sort of thing, however gratefulness comes but, but in you. But, but to be grateful that this man is my husband and you've called me to love him. You've called me to submit to him. So uh, in grateful obedience to Christ. And see, that's the key. You're doing this in reverence for Christ. You're doing this out of obedience to him. 
you see, because he's the one who's called you. He's the one who's the Lord. He's the one who's God. And so he's the one you obey. And so you do this out of grateful obedience to Christ to joyfully honor and affirm your husband's authority and leadership. Uh, joyfully. You might say, okay, I've been joyful. So what do you do? Joyfully. Why joyfully? Well, because you see, if it's, if it's just duty, then it really doesn't really doesn't honor God that much because you're saying, I, I'm doing this because I have to. I don't really like this. But if it's joyful, you say, I'm doing this because everything that you call me to is good and right, and I trust you, and so I'll be joyful in this. I really desire to do this joyfully, then you see, honor and affirm your husband's authority um, and leadership. Now, what's that look like? Well, I think the best picture of what that looks like is at the end of Proverbs in chapter 31. Now, I know when I mention Proverbs 31, uh, at least this is what many women tell me, they just kind of go, not that, please. I get that. This is an idealized wife. There's some idealized husbands around as well in various passages and literature and so forth and so on. So I get this as idealized, but it's still in the Bible. It's still helpful then for us to really see this. Uh, And so husbands, trust me, this isn't the passage you read to your wife before you go to bed or when you wake up in the morning. I just want to leave you with this little word here from God. So let her read this. All right. This kind of be her verse, her chapter. But, um, but, but just look at this. This is it. And you got to believe she's, if she's an excellent wife, then this idea of submissiveness uh, applies to her. It says, verse 10 of Proverbs 31, An excellent wife who can find, she's far more precious than jewels. In other words, if you're a wife and you're listening to this, you realize, I have great value. I have great value. Being a wife, if you're a woman, not married, but anticipating it, you think, oh, there's great value in being a wife. God says an excellent wife is precious, more precious than jewels. Husbands, bear that in mind, the value, the preciousness of your wife. Verse 11 says the heart of her husband trusts in her. In other words, the husband is to be able to really trust his wife and entrust his wife with many things, with great things, right? means he doesn't have to be a micromanager of this whole thing as being the head. Why? Because he trusts his wife. Um, I... This won't surprise at least the people on my staff who know I don't know very much what goes on about the church. But I don't know very much at all. Sometimes it goes on in house because I trust Karen completely. And, and why do I trust her? Why, why does a husband trust his wife? He trusts his wife because he knows something about her that she trusts God. And if she trusts the Lord, you see, and how does he know that she's trusting the Lord? He knows he's trusting the Lord. She's trusting the Lord because she's being submissive to him. And if you're a husband of of any even smidgen of humility, 
You have to look in the mirror and you have to say, why would anybody submit to me? Who am I? And you look at your wife and you say, especially her. She's the most confident person I know. Why would she submit to me? And the only reason you could think of as a husband is because this is how the Lord has ordered it. And, and you go, she must really trust God. Well, if she's a woman who trusts God, then why wouldn't I trust her? Because she's following after him. You see, that's the whole, that's the sense of this here. The heart of her husband trusts her. And then he will have no lack of gain. In other words, this is how God has ordained things to be. This is how God has set it up. And so husbands, if you want to blossom in your life and your marriage and your family, then trust your wife. And wife, if you want to blossom in your life, submit to your husband. And verses 12 through 21 uh, just shows the great industry of this submissive woman. She does him good and does not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchants and she brings her food from afar. She rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it and with the fruit of her hands plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strong, with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand to the distaff and her hands to the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. It, 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 it just You realize this is a woman who has purpose. This is a woman who knows what the needs are. This is a person who then goes after it to fulfill it. And actually, my favorite verse in this whole passage is verse 21. She's not afraid of snow. <laughs> I, I like it. It kind of startles you. You go, okay, what's that all about? For her household, she's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself and her clothing is in fine linen and, and purple. In other words, she's so on top of things, so caring, so concerned for everybody else that she goes, even if it snows, I got Oreos, right? I got blankets. I got wood for the fire. I, I even got it down to if it snows. No wonder he trusts her. Because it's probably snowed. And he went, we're sunk. And she's, now nah, we're fine. Then for him, uh, this is his gain. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. The strength and dignity are clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She's kind and compassionate. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. And so her husband then is able to flourish because she submits and cares for him. You see, a husband always has his wife in mind. So he loves in such a way to give himself. Why? So she flourishes. The wife always has her husband in mind. Why? So he'll flourish. That's the sense of it, you see. That's what I said in the very beginning. When we talk about marriage, we're talking about something where husband and wife, in their particular roles, are ultimately called to be selfless, to love, 
to, as Jesus put it about himself, come not to be served, but to serve, you see. Now, there are times, of course, when you're in such a state as a husband, your wife has to utterly serve you. As a wife, your husband may have to utterly serve you. You can't serve yourself in any way, and you can't serve them, so you're completely a taker. We get that, but, but you should live in the security to know if something happens to you, husband, your wife will be there for you. You should live in the security to know, wife, if something happens to you, your husband will be there for you. Whatever that means, you see, that's the security. Oh, if it snows... children rise up and call her blessed her husband also and he praises her many women have done excellently but you surpass them all charm is deceitful and beauty is vain but a woman who fears the lord is to be praised you see that's the bottom line of it she realizes that being a wife isn't what fulfills her she realizes that her passion isn't first and foremost for her husband she realizes what will fulfill her is following Christ. She realizes that if her passion is Christ, then she will be fulfilled. And she realizes that if my passion is for Christ and my desire is to please him, then I should be a submissive wife. And that will fulfill me. It isn't idolatry. I'm not idolizing my husband. I'm not idolizing my family. I'm worshiping Christ, you see. That's the one I fear. The woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Wives, submit to your husbands. As to the Lord, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let's pray. Father, I pray for all of us. Some are married, some are not. Some have been and will be again or maybe not. Some may never marry. So I pray for the marriages in our church that we can live in such a way as husband and wife that other people will see Christ and will see his love for the church and the church love for Christ so that this profound mystery of how Christ and the church are united will be understood and known by our children by people around us, by people who may never even read a Bible. But they'll see it in our lives. I pray for husbands. That you'd work in us in such a way to humble us and to, to realize that we need to love our wives as we lead them and as we take this responsibility of having authority in the lives of our wives that we're able to exert that authority and love so much so that we give ourselves, we sacrifice, we serve, that our wives may be blessed by our lives. 
and our love. And, and we pray, too, for wives that out of obedience to Christ and love for him, that they will live in such a way as to respect and honor their husbands. And they'll live ever mindful of him and so that he will flourish in life. Now, this is a deep and a big and a huge and a great calling. So we pray that you would forgive us when we fail. We give you thanks for when we succeed. And we pray that you would work in us all that is well-pleasing in your sight, that we may be equipped to honor you and to obey you, that others may know that Jesus is Lord. And this we pray in Jesus' name.